uh, spending a, a month talking about a stump together, and yet you're still here. Um, <laughs> this stump is special because from it comes a shoot, and the Spirit of the Lord is resting on him, and we know this shoot is Jesus Christ himself, and the Spirit of God um, resting on him. We talked about how that's a spirit of wisdom and understanding, and how God's wisdom is different than the wisdom of the world, and we will operate by God's wisdom and not uh, what others think wisdom should be. We talked about how the Spirit is a spirit of counsel and might, that Jesus gives us the same Spirit that was on Him and to, to guide us and to empower us in our everyday lives. And uh, actually, people this week have been telling me how they have experienced a heightened um, experience or awareness of of God's Spirit this past week. This week, we're going to consider this last aspect of the Spirit that is resting on Jesus is a spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That is, this Spirit helps us to know who God is and helps us to fear God. And as we fear God, we grow in our knowledge of God. As we grow in our knowledge of God, we grow in our fear of God. Uh, This connection of fear and knowledge we see uh, elsewhere in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And later in that chapter, They will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. This beautiful connection of true knowledge, knowledge of God, and, and true fear of the Lord. This is a good thing because it means that God is knowable. That the God that we worship is not just out there and mysterious, but has made himself known by his spirit. It's also kind of heavy news or hard news because this, this God is, as we understand who God is, it's a fearful thing. Yet, in verse 3 from Isaiah's prophecy says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That's a profound statement. That there's delight in fear of anything and delight in fear of the Lord. It's one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture. I would argue, not to overstate it, that it is one of the most profound statements in the universe that he will delight In the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but the things that I fear, I don't delight in any of them. Um, You know, we think about the things that make you afraid. My my predecessor, Jack, he would always admit from this pulpit that he was afraid of spiders. Uh, My friend Chuck, who also preached here this year, he admitted he was afraid of his neighbor's haunted house. I will confess to you my childhood fears, two of them. One was that I would be sprayed by a skunk. And I had this deep fear. You're laughing. This is terrifying. My cat, our cat got sprayed by a skunk. Dusty, remember that? She stuck for like two years. And we washed her. <laughs> and, and when it was humid or rainy, she would extra stink. And uh, that poor cat, rest her soul, they, if they have souls. They, um, but I was always afraid I would get sprayed by a skunk and I would be made fun of at school because the, the smell would not come off me. And that, somehow this was just terrifying to me. The other fear, which was also terrifying, was that I, I, my bedroom as a child was on the ground floor of the house and 
And my sisters and my parents slept upstairs. And in second grade, they had fire prevention week, which is a a week that's supposed to help you feel better somehow. I was convinced that my house was going to burn down, that I would escape because I'm on the ground floor. And I had three means of egress, which I used differently in high school than I did as a kid. But (laughs) I had a lot of egress. And that my family was going to die in a fire. And because the fire would be in the stairs and there's no way to get out of that, that house. So that play, so whatever, now, I, now we have more adult fears these days. We fear things like failure, death, not being able to provide for yourself, not being able to provide for your family. These are all fears that people have. Not one of those, I would say, is a delight. My childhood fears, my adult fears, they are... Um, They're not good yet. From the stump of Jesse comes the shoot. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it is a delight to fear the Lord. So this is a key statement for us. And this is going to unlock a lot of things for us. Uh, It's a profound statement, but it's also a, a practical kind of a statement. Because as we fear the Lord, as we understand the fear of the Lord, and as we live it, we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, and as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we grow in our knowledge of His world, and therefore we can live in His world and understand His world in a deeper and more meaningful ways, and we, we need that knowledge, we need that wisdom, and so this will also hopefully be a practical concept for us, and I want to explore this today. What the fear of the Lord is not, what the fear of the Lord is, and then finally what the fear of the Lord does for us. Let's pray as we approach this. So Father, my, my prayer this morning for us, everyone gathered in this room, and Father, I believe you've put us all in this room for a good purpose that only you know, Lord, and I just pray that we might in some way also know it, that your spirit is here, that your spirit can teach us, so we invite that now for your spirit to be our teacher, that we might know something more of you and of your heart and of your way. So we commit this time to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, what, what is this fear of the Lord? Or what is, what is it not? And so we're not the first people to wrestle with this concept. All throughout the Bible, it talks about the fear of the Lord or the fear of God. And uh, so the, the great reformer, uh, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, give or take, he, he parsed out what he understood was the fear of the Lord and not the fear of the Lord. And theologians down through the ages have sort of leaned on his understanding as like a sort of a launching point. He talked about uh, the fear, there's two types of fear. He talked about servile fear. And the servile fear is the fear that a prisoner would have for a torturer, not knowing what is going to come and, and being tormented and tortured in different ways. It would be the fear that a child might have for a, a terrible father, an evil father who uh, would uh, abuse or, or in other ways harm a child, a, 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 an unloving parent that you would want to run away from. And... So Luther said that that's a servile fear, and that's not fear of the Lord. He said the fear of the Lord is more of a, what he called filial fear. It's a fear that is, um, it includes great reverence and awe and um, the power of God above you, but there's a relational aspect to it, such that even if you wanted to run away from God, you simply could not escape 
his power. So you choose instead to run towards this thing, which is uh, in many ways fearful and perhaps even terrifying, uh, but there is, it's a different aspect of, of fear. I've heard people say, and I myself have used this, especially in Bible study, you come across the phrase, fear the Lord, and you say, well, that means, we mean reverence. We don't mean you're afraid of God, but that you revere God. And that's good. I think that is absolutely an aspect of the fear of the Lord. But the Bible about 300 times uses this phrase, fear, in in relation to God. That it's not simply reverence. If we call it just reverence, we're, we're missing something. There's lots of things that I revere. There's people I revere greatly who I would be uh, sort of in awe to be around. There are moments of reverence and awe that I experience in life. I go hiking, you're on the top of a mountain and you can see for miles and miles and you just get this sense of wonder and grandeur. Or if you're standing in front of the ocean and you can just see to the horizon and you get a sense of how powerful and mighty the ocean is. But that kind of uh, reverence for people or sense of wonder and awe still falls short of how we view God. And actually the right word is fear. So what is the fear of the Lord? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I tell you, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That the fear of the Lord, even according to Jesus, includes this sense of knowing who God is and realizing that I am somehow responsible for this God, that he didn't just wind up the universe just to see kind of how it goes, but that the God of the universe is still active and we are somehow responsible to that God and realizing that I am not that God and that I fall short of what this God has done in making me, that I am not hidden from this God in any way. In in this The fear of the Lord is born in, in a sense, out of our shortcomings, out of our smallness that we feel, out of our inadequacy. The prophet Isaiah himself, in chapter 6, God gave him an image of, God himself gave him to Isaiah an image of his holiness and greatness. This is what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the whole temple. And Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And this is, what I, this is how Isaiah responds to this image of God. He says, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he knew God, and when he had an image of God, he had a deep sense of his own uh, inadequacy, his own sinfulness, the sinfulness of the world he lived in. And we see this in the New Testament, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, at his calling. In Luke chapter 5, Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing, and 
When Jesus finished speaking, he said to to Simon Peter, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. I will not, I will, I, I will have not caught anything, but I will, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, so he has a sense now of the power of Christ, he says this, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This, this filial fear, this, that's more the, the fear that is connected to our relationship to God, as Luther describes it, it's, it is that of a, of a child who desires to please the Father. It's, 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 it's a fear that comes from, yes, it includes respects, respect, but it's... It's an acknowledgement that we fall short. That we don't, want to, we don't want to disappoint the Father. We don't want to offend. And, and we move, that fear it doesn't drive us away from God, but it can drive us towards Him. And as we experience more and more of this, the immensity of God, the more we experience the intimacy of God. This is a great paradox now. Isaiah sees this amazing... Um, miraculous view of God, this immense view, and it draws him into closer relationship. We have Peter who sees the power of Christ and he says, woe is me, I am sinful, but it draws him into relationship with Jesus. And he there, from that point, walks with Jesus. It, it's, a, it's a connection to God that is based in fear and it goes beyond reverence. And, and I think it's something that we lose. I think over time we get very comfortable with God and how we talk about God as our friend and we are told to call God Daddy or Abba. Is that Aramaic phrase to, that, that is good. That's actually part of our relationship. But as we run the danger of Jesus becoming our buddy and God is some kind of maybe a, a wise family member who we might call when we, we need him and we lose the weight of God's glory in all of who he is. But if we see God as huge as he is, as powerful as God is, that he holds all of life in his hands, that we are very small and weak, that in his righteousness and in his justice, he could dispose of us however he wants, yet in his grace, he reaches out to us. And when we, when we feel the weight of that, uh, then we know truly the fear of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, as a sinful people, we have every right to dread and have that just sheer terror. Yet by his grace, we can approach God. Fear, yes, reverence. Yes, uh, there's this connection of grace. And that will change us. I want to give you quickly, I want to give you five ways that the fear of the Lord or five things that the fear of the Lord does for us. First, oh, these all come from, on the back of your bulletin is this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 passage, which begins with the fear of the Lord. Uh, Paul says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, then these things flow from it. Uh, the first is that there's a deep desire to please God. The fear of the Lord gives us a deep desire to please God. 
We see it in the passage at the end here in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That this sinful condition which would cause us to be in terror before God, Jesus gets that. He became sin for us. That we can truly be righteous. That we can truly be obedient to God. That we can truly be transformed because he's paid for it all. The weight of that and the, how that would, could stifle us is lifted. And in verse 17, the, the new creations come to us. The old is gone. The new is here. There's a newness that's being brought about in us. And then, then we can truly obey. But you could follow laws for any reason. You don't have to fear God. You, you could follow the Ten Commandments out of some sort of obligation for whatever, whatever is in your heart. Yet through the fear of the Lord, it becomes a delight. Because we know what he's done for us. We know how immense he is, yet how in his grace he came to us. It's, it's no longer just following God in a legalistic way. It's, it's acknowledging that God is greater than me. It's acknowledging that God knows better than I do. And then I can follow him with a whole heart. The second thing, the fear of the Lord makes us die to ourselves. Verse 14. Christ's love love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. The, The death and resurrection of Jesus, in a sense, brings about a death in the believer. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this elsewhere, he wrote to the church in Galatia, He says, uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because he's done this, because this great God has come and has provided for me, that I, you know, this redefines my life. I'm no longer the center of my own universe. And, And quite honestly, for me or any of us, it is very easy to go about our day our priorities, our goals, the things I want to accomplish, the things that, that make me sad because I'm disappointed or things that lift me up. I'm at the center of that. But when we see, when we have a true fear of God, we see actually we are not in the center. He is. And that reorients the rest of life. Again, Paul said this uh, in Acts chapter 20. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I might finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task to testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Jesus talked about losing your life to gain your life. Or if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. In his kingdom, we fear him and we realize that it's all about him. And that our very existence is, is, is only truly known in light of who he is. This impacts us. This week at Christmas, you're going to be um, celebrating and giving gifts and counting your blessings and giving gratitude to God for all that, that he's done and all that you have. But also it's a season that can bring up for us the things that uh, um, we've, the ways that we've fallen short, the things we have not accomplished in life, the things that we don't have, the relationships that we don't have or that are broken or the, the failures of our lives. And, but again, if we can, if we Put him at the center and see that he is orchestrating these things. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reorient both what brings us joy and what brings us down. Thirdly, 
The fear of the Lord compels us to tell others. Verse 11 says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. When you've experienced this, the, the weight of the Lord and, and the fear of the Lord and the wonder that you have, and yet the intimacy and the grace, you just want to tell others. Your heart is compelled. Now, some people are turned off by this notion that, you know, sharing my faith with others or uh, inviting others to explore Jesus, this is something they would just prefer to avoid. Um, I would say if that's you, if you feel that way now or perhaps you've felt that way in the past, just consider the fear of the Lord. Consider who God really is. Perhaps maybe you've never experienced that, to know how holy he is and how sinful we are and how great the work of Jesus is to reconcile us. And then verse 14, Christ's love compels us. Verse 17 you know, we've been made new. Because you've been made new, because you've been reconciled, it's just going to flow. It's not, it's, in verse 20, it's as if God is making his appeal through us. It, it just will flow from our lives. Fourth, the fear of the Lord brings us wisdom. We see this uh, in verse 13 here. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. It's, it's about living life in a way that uh, it does not give great regard to what the world thinks you're doing. That's foolish. The, the ways that you, of your uh, generosity or your forgiveness or your not being upset or your, your, your devotion to this invisible God. These things that the world could consider foolish, you say, that's not my priority. My, prior, my priority is to please my loving Father in heaven. And, I've, and we have wisdom to know that, to redefine life, the success and failure all through him. I have a, a friend of mine who was reflecting on some terrible things that he's been through in his life and said, you know what? I wouldn't trade those things. I wouldn't wish those things on anybody in this world. But I thank God that he took me through them because of what he showed me. It looks like foolishness to the world that I might somehow treasure these terrible things. And, and, and again, they were painful, but I saw the work that God did in my life. I, I was talking to somebody today. Same thing. I went through a situation, he said, I went through a situation that was so embarrassing and so terrible. But I'm grateful to God for that. I've had people express gratitude for illnesses and terrible diagnoses because through these experiences, they've experienced the power of God in a different way. That our economy is... is the way that we look at the world is, well, if you're doing good, you're blessed. If you're sick, then you're cursed. That's, in God's way, his blessing can be known in all things. And we give him the glory. That's a different kind of wisdom. The fear of the Lord brings it. Lastly, the fear of the Lord makes every moment holy. Every moment holy. Verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That every interaction and every experience that you have in life is significant and holy because you know and fear the Lord and you know that He is at work in and through His people. And that's you, by faith. It's you. So your coworkers might just see somebody you know, buying and investing money or they might see you programming and it looks very mundane. But for you, it's the kingdom of God at work through what you're doing and your interactions with the people around you. You know, it may just look like going to a Christmas party, 
But for you, you know that you bring the very kingdom of God with you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as you are silently praying for people, as you are uh, sharing your life with them in small ways, that God is using that for greater thing. There is no uh, mundane walking a dog, going to an exercise class. We, it's just believing that God wants to use those things to draw people to himself as if we were God's messengers, his ambassadors, and that is exactly what we are. There is no uh, sacred time and secular time. It's, it's all holy moments. And that changes our lives. And you don't have to force it either because he's the one at work in that time. We regard no one, verse 16, from a worldly point of view. That's what the fear of God does for us. Now, apart from Jesus, we should be terrified of God. Apart from, uh, apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God took on human flesh and came to this world, we, uh, we should be co- just completely horrified, terrified. Yet, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the, it's the cosmic, the great exchange on the cosmic level. Our sinfulness for his righteousness. And there on the cross, as Jesus is accomplishing this, we see the wisdom of God. It looks like foolishness to the world. It looks like failure to the world. It's God's wisdom. We see the power of God on the cross. It looks like weakness. It looks like death. But it's God's power at work. And we see this delight in the fear of the Lord. Delight in the fear of the Lord. The bad news is that Jesus had to die on the cross for your sins. The good news is that Jesus wanted to die on the cross for your sins. To be obedient to the will of the Father. To lay down his life. Jesus prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. It's the fear. It's delight in the fear of the Lord. And part of why we fear the Lord, part of why we love him, is that his grace is so immense. His mercy is so great. When we consider a God, an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God, extending his amazing grace to us, we grow in our fear of him, in our wonder, and in our reverence, and all these things, as we feel the weight of his love, and the weight of his grace, and his mercy. Finally, again, verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to this great God. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would know a right relationship with you. That includes us seeing you as you really are. To see the immensity of your power. And to see our own sinfulness and our own weakness, yet your grace even greater. And you're drawing us to yourself. And as we do, we, Lord, we, as as you approached Mary through the angel, the message is fear not to the shepherds, fear not. That as we embrace the, the, the wonder of your love, that that we would know in greater way who you are and what you've called us to. Be glorified in that, Lord. And I pray that we, today, would put our faith in you. 
And we would trust you that those who gather with us this week to worship and celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would be filled with a a righteous fear, a holy fear, and with that to know your holy love. Be glorified in these things, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.